Hello and welcome back to Get Chatty with Danny and welcome to episode number four. In today's episode, it is just myself and I'm going to be covering my rheumatoid arthritis journey. A couple of days ago on my Instagram story, I popped up a poll asking if this is an episode that you would like to listen to. And for those of you that voted, 98% of you said that yes, you would. And so here we are. Now, I won't lie, I do feel mixed emotions about recording this episode and about putting it out there. Whilst I am very open on social media and I have always strived to be as open and as honest as I can be in documenting my journey in all aspects, this is probably the most personal, probably the, I guess, topic that I'm going to be very vulnerable about and I I just feel a little bit apprehensive, I guess. I will put in a disclaimer that I'm likely to get emotional. I struggle to talk about it. I've been in denial about it for pretty much the whole <laughs> the whole journey. And maybe even slightly still am, I don't know. Um, it's something I'm still processing, I guess. And if I'm honest, where I am in my journey right now, it almost feels as if it's non-existent. It feels like I don't even have anything. And uh, I think that's a fair comment to make. I think if anybody met me in the year of 2021 right now to look at me without knowing me or knowing anything that's happened previous, you would think there's not a damn thing wrong with me. I mean, you might think I'm a little bit crazy or weird, but you get my point. Having met me in 2018, (laughs) different story. And um, yeah. I guess really I today want to share my journey, my experience with the condition. And again, another disclaimer, that is exactly that. So I'm not an expert, I'm not a doctor. And in fact, I actually don't really know a great deal about it. Even though it's something that I have, I don't actually really know a lot about it. And I'm not ashamed to admit that. And I'll tell you why. (laughs) It's because I've really not wanted to know too much. I've really, partly because I've been very in denial about it and partly because sometimes I just have felt like I don't want to know. I really just haven't wanted to know. I don't want to delve too much into it. Um, Yeah, I guess because I've struggled and I I, I think more than anything, don't get me wrong and, and we'll get into this, I have physically struggled with the pain the, the the stiffness, the the swelling, um, just, yeah. But emotionally, I would say I have struggled even more than the physical pain. And trust me, the physical pain is unbearable at times. So to kind of put that into some context, emotionally, I think I have struggled with this um, during, and even now, in a time where I have been stable for quite some time now, I am still very emotional when I talk about certain aspects of my journey. So all I ask is just if you're listening to this, 
regardless of how you're kind of listening in and and what you're wanting to get out of this. So it may be that you're listening to this because you also have rheumatoid arthritis and maybe you want to feel some comfort in listening to somebody else's journey because I know how isolating and I know like just how alone that you can feel. Maybe you're listening to this because you know someone that's close to you, a loved one that maybe has it and you want to just get a better understanding of it or maybe you have literally zero clue about it and you just want to gain a bit more knowledge or insight into what it's like to live with a condition like an autoimmune disease such as RA. And all I ask is that regardless of how or why you're listening to this, it's just to be respectful of my emotions in this because it isn't easy for me to talk about. So let's just jump right in and uh, I'm gonna just signpost as well. I'm gonna be reading some things off of the National Rheumatoid Arthritis Society website. Um, A great website if it's something that you guys that you're listening you want to like kind of read up on it then I would direct you either to the NHS website or to the NRAS um, website in particular. Those are the two that whenever I've needed to kind of you know, refer to something, they are kind of the two that I would always go to. I guess, first of all, let's just talk about what rheumatoid or RA actually is, because up until I had some um, symptoms of the disease, until it was discussed with my GP and then obviously diagnosed, I had never even heard of rheumatoid arthritis. Like, I was like, yeah, I think I was in the very first stages, I was 21 years old when that that terminology came about into my conversation with my GP at the time and at 21 years old the only word I had ever heard was arthritis I didn't even know there was a rheumatoid or an osteo or any different type of arthritis and honestly at 21 I just thought arthritis is for elderly people where they get maybe a bit of pain in their hands and feet and that was all I knew and again it was a lack of knowledge because why why would I know about rheumatoid arthritis at a young, relatively healthy 21-year-old, you know? So, yeah. So I'm just going to read off the NRAS website exactly what it states rheumatoid arthritis is, just to give you a bit of an insight into, I guess, the definition, if you will. So um, basically, it is a type of disease known as an autoimmune condition. And this means that your body's immune system has made a mistake and picked a wrong target. To explain, your immune system is designed to defend your body against infection. It should not attack your body. Sometimes the immune system becomes too active and mistakenly it attacks your body and this is called autoimmune disease. When you have RA, your immune system attacks the lining of your joints and this causes inflammation which leads to symptoms such as pain and stiffness. RA is a symmetrical arthritis, meaning that it usually affects both sides of the body in a similar pattern, although this is not always the case. It tends to affect the small joints of the hands and feet first, often the knuckle joints in the fingers. RA is a systematic disease, meaning that it doesn't just affect joints. RA can also affect a person's whole system, including organs such as the lungs, heart and eyes. About 1% of the population in the UK has RA, more than 400,000 people in the UK. It affects more women than men, roughly two to three times as many women. The most common age for people to develop RA is between 40 and 60 or a bit older for men. But people can get it at any age, even from the age of 14, when it's early onset RA. 
There are other forms of inflammatory arthritis, but RA is the most common. If RA is not treated or is inadequately treated, it can cause irreversible damage to joints and lead to disability. And this used to happen often, but today the management of RA is very good, far better than it was even 15 years ago, although there is no cure. Most people diagnosed today can expect to lead pretty full and active lives once the disease is under control. So that is the um, definition, I guess, and a bit of information there into regards to what the actual condition is that I have. Um, And I'm sorry if you kind of hear that I got a little bit emotional then. I think the hardest thing out of the whole journey was like the day that I got diagnosed and hearing those words and then hearing like because you have to bear in mind like when you get told you have something especially something that you've never heard of before and then for that to follow up my first initial thing was okay how do I get rid of this okay so I had no idea how do how do I cure this well there is no cure (laughs) like yeah um how do you how do you deal with something like that I don't I don't I don't know and I don't think I I don't if I'm honest I don't think I even have dealt with that like emotionally okay so like physically I'm doing great physically I'm probably the happiest and healthiest that I've ever been in all my life emotionally when it comes to this I don't think I've maybe dealt with it that well I'll hold my hands up but yeah, so I mean, obviously, there's there's quite a bit of information there around. I kind of guess what RA is, and you know, it, even reading it, it sounds quite complicated. You know, it's a lot going on, and a lot of it is like invisible as such because it's obviously like all inside the body. And you know, like I say, on the grand scheme of things, you can look at a lot of people and not even realize they they even have something like this. You know, it's a very sort of invisible illness, if you will, and yeah I guess for myself I've not really paid too much attention or got into too much depth um I I definitely did in the early stages but in the last few years I I really haven't and I've really like distanced myself from it completely if I'm honest so um I'll apologize if my kind of memory and things like this as I'm talking things through is a little bit vague and stuff because I yeah as I say I've just distanced myself a little bit which is also why I want to refer to some things on this website so that it just makes it easier for me to explain in the right way rather than just try and like muddle through because as I say it's not something that I'm actively kind of on top of or researching and stuff right now so yeah I guess that kind of goes into a little bit about what it is and I guess the next major thing to cover off is like what are the actual symptoms of RA and how did I I guess get from the point of having like early onset signs and symptoms and to then getting diagnosed so it states here that the important signs and symptoms to be aware of are pain swelling and possibly redness around your joints hands and feet are often affected first though RA can start in any joint Stiffness in your joints when you get up in the morning or after sitting for a while, which lasts for more than 30 minutes and has no other, uh, other sorry, obvious cause. And fatigue that's more than just normal tiredness. So in terms of the actual like symptoms, you know, they're not kind of very different to a lot of other obviously autoimmune conditions and diseases and that's what makes it really really hard to actually get diagnosed with um, RA there's not actually like one specific test to diagnose you so 
I actually got diagnosed quite quickly in the grand scheme of things. Some people it can take a really long time um, because it's not that easy to diagnose. And in regards to me, so just to give you a bit of context into kind of my journey with it. So for me, it started actually all the way back in 2015. And I literally... (laughs) as simple as it sounds, I woke up one day and I was in pain. And as the website states there, most common um, is for the smaller joints to be effective first when I think RA first becomes kind of visible. So um, that's normally like the joints in your, like your knuckles, like your hands, fingers, like your wrists, your feet, like your toes, um, all like the really like small joints normally and in most people that I've spoken to as well um that's normally the case from anyone else I've spoke to that's gone through like a similar thing to me so yeah I was basically I woke up one day and in my hands and feet I had this this pain and jokingly at the time so just for reference I'm only going to touch on it just um briefly here but during the time um of all of this um I was in a long-term relationship so um prior to where I am in my life now I was in a relationship from the age of 16 to 26 so 10 years of my life and um so I did have somebody with me um as well as my family of course but just to kind of put I guess into context kind of where um yeah I guess where we are with this so I remember waking up and like jokingly saying god I feel like 80 years old today and like what is wrong with me like I've woken up in so much pain and um yeah it just it stemmed from there really um I yeah as I say I was in my like young 20s and in this particular year 2015 this pain actually lasted for six months now with um RA you basically get times where you will be in what they call a like a flare or a flare up and that is basically where your symptoms so pain stiffness swelling all of that is basically prominent and alive and active if you will and so I was in a flare up although unknowingly at that time for six months and with flare-ups you never know obviously how long they're going to last so and at this point bearing in mind I'm not even diagnosed I don't even know RA exists I know nothing and in those six months at some point I went to my GP I don't remember the exact amount of time it took for me to go oh my god actually this is this is something's not right here I need to go but obviously at some point I did and I spoke to my GP and this was the first time I'd ever gone there with anything like this and he turned around and said it sounds like rheumatoid arthritis and I'm thinking what the hell is that (laughs) like what anyway he said you would need to get like assessed um by somebody um at the hospital and so I got referred to Musgrove which is um, a hospital in Taunton in Somerset which was at the time not too far from from where I lived and yeah I basically got referred there to the rheumatology part of the hospital and I met with um a lady there who assessed me Um, they basically go over um, check over like all of your joints and like kind of um, how do I describe this in the right way like I want to make sure that I'm kind of like explaining things well but a lot of this will be in like layman's terms because I I need that as well so 
Um, yeah, so like imagine like somebody just basically feeling over your joints and asking you how how that feels. You know, does it hurt here? Does it hurt there? That type of thing. And um, you kind of have to explain your kind of symptoms and things like that. And I had a load of blood taken. So as I say, in terms of diagnosing um, RA, there's not like a specific test. So it's a case of like being assessed and people looking over your joints, answering questions and also some blood work as well. And so with all of that into consideration, basically the result of that was um, that I didn't have rheumatoid arthritis and that actually the pain that I had was as a result of a virus that I must have had at some point. And this was basically almost like the after effect of a virus. And I remember at the time just almost feeling a bit like this is a cop out answer. Like I just, even though I, of course, at 21, I didn't want to be told there was something like worse going on than just a bit of pain from a virus but just something in me just just didn't feel like it was right at the time I just felt like I'm being shrugged off I'm being ignored and you know to wake up in pain like every day uh, and to not know why it's quite isolating and like I, I just felt I guess at that point I felt more so than upset or emotional I felt frustrated angry and confused like that was just how I felt back then and obviously I was a lot younger and yeah I just felt really like irritated basically I just felt like I was being shrugged off and and that was that and so the the pain back then lasted as I say for like six months and then I didn't actually it randomly it just stopped now this is obviously I say randomly because I'm talking in the context of of the things back then and unknowingly to me what those six months were was a rheumatoid arthritis flare-up but at this point I don't know any of that so I just think it's it's stopped which essentially a flare-up will start and stop at some point we don't necessarily know when they start how long they're going to last for which is terrifying because as I say this now I could wake up tomorrow in 2021 with and being a flare-up and this could last a week it could last six months it could last two years and that to this day still terrifies me and I think why I probably struggle emotionally still is because I guess subconsciously whether I'm actively thinking about it or not I think subconsciously in the back of my head that is always there anyway um I digress but yeah so it stopped and then I didn't have any pain signs symptoms anything again for a good 18 to 24 months. So at this point, this then takes us and brings us to September 2017, okay? So, and bearing in mind that after 18, 24 months, it's very crazy how your mind adapts. So bearing in mind, those six months felt like hell and I felt like, Jesus, like this is just never ending. But then those 18, 24 months, those six months were long forgotten about. And I was probably thinking, that lady at the hospital she was right it was just a virus and it is what it is and uh yeah I was just living living my normal life if you will and uh yeah um as I say we're now in September 2017 and I guess this is basically where things then got worse so just before I go into that part again just reading off of the um NRIS website just around the symptoms so in regards to pain um, it covers off that pain is a significant symptom for most people at first it is caused by the inflammation in the joints and later on pain can be as a result of damage to the joints pain levels can also vary from day to day 
Stiffness is most marked or severe first thing in the morning and it can last several hours if you're not taking effective medication. Uh, There's a gelling of the joints, meaning that they become difficult to move from a position after you've rested them. This also happens when you've been sitting for any length of time. Fatigue can be due to anemia, um, but it can also be due to the inflammation, and it's been linked to a number of things, including pain levels. Some people get flu-like symptoms with fever and muscle pains, as well as being tired, especially in the early days before or during diagnosis. Quite often people feel low, sad or depressed because of RA's overall effect on their body and the pain they are experiencing. And understandably, because RA is a lifelong condition and there isn't yet a cure, um, but there are obviously now very effective treatments, which we'll go into in a moment as well. So just touching on the, the kind of symptoms, just to make you aware of my experience. So pain, yes. God, yes. Every day. So when I was in a flare-up, um pain every single day throughout the day consistent basically 24 7 I don't think there was any time during any flare-up I've ever had where the pain just wasn't consistent um and I mean I'm pretty rubbish at describing things anyway so I will apologize for that but just just unbearable pain like I'm gonna be really really honest um and as much as it pains pains it for me I can't even speak as hard as it is for me to say this, there were times during these particular months and flare-ups where I just didn't want to be here anymore. Like, I, yeah, and that this isn't for, for me to get, by the way, this is, yeah, this is completely not for me for, to get sympathy, to get pity, for people to be like, oh my god, like, not at all, but I just want to kind of like, I guess, put that into context of how bad it actually was for me. Also, <laughs> And I'm not uh, downplaying this at all because the pain is unbearable. Um, It really, really is. But my pain threshold is genuinely shit. Um, It really is. But yeah, it was... um, There were times where I genuinely just thought, like, I can't can't do this anymore. I just can't. Like, and, and that... It makes me sad saying that because I feel like I'm so proud of where I am now and probably why I get so emotional. So come on Danielle pull it together um but yeah anyway stiffness my god um yeah this is actually one symptom that believe it or not I still have now but not not as bad so I've gotten very good at making sure that I move quite a lot now my job is very um is very like I'm sat at a desk all day for like eight hours and back when things were really bad for me I really struggled with this because I I wasn't actually leading a very active or healthy lifestyle at that point in my life and so I was genuinely like sat down all day whereas now I'm very good at making sure that I do get up like every hour or so and I'm walking getting my steps in whatever it may be so yeah but stiffness actually um The only times I really struggle with it now, if you're a girl listening to this, you will know that you can be in the hairdresser sometimes for like four hours. And honestly, as much as being a girl, it's nice to go to the hairdressers or even like to go for like a beauty treatment or something like that. I actually now dread it, like in some sense. So because that is probably the one area of my life that I do really struggle with now because being sat down for four hours and not moving when I get up after, I can still really feel it, even now, um, fatigue, I've always struggled with this, it touched on about anemia, so I've been anemic for, 
I don't know now, like 12 years. Um, and I've really always struggled with that. So, but yeah. Um, and obviously these symptoms I had back in 2015, and as I mentioned, we're now coming into September 2017. And this is when I'm now entering my second flare up. Unbeknown to me at this point, I am still not diagnosed. I am still unaware that I have this. And to my knowledge, it was a blip in 2015 from a virus and then it started again and again it started in the small joints you know my hands like my knuckles my wrists my feet and at this point I'm thinking not again like I haven't been ill though like I haven't had a virus in the last two years like and I, I genuinely don't really get ill that often so um I was kind of confused and I thought god but the scary thing here was the six months I had in 2015, it was just those small joints and it was unbearable. Yes. But what then happened in September 17 was a completely different story, a completely different flare up. Um, and very quickly, very suddenly my whole body just, I just felt like I was being taken over by this disease. So in the first part, it talked about it being a very symmetrical disease. So if, for example, you've got pain in your left wrist, it's going to likely be that you've also got it in your right wrist. And just think of every single joint in your body. <laughs> and I can guarantee you, I pretty much had pain in every single one at this point. Very quickly, it went from just my hands to my feet to everywhere. And I was, I was scared, like, just so scared and I don't think I've ever cried so much in a period of time of my life um so just to put it into context September 17 was when it started again flare-up number two and I was eventually diagnosed in the March of 2018 so I actually went six months um and actually a further three months so probably nine months until I had any form of relief because um as I'll go into the medication takes about three months to kind of get into your system but as I say yeah six to nine months of um of what felt like hell to be honest um and you might be thinking at this point like what causes RA so just again gonna refer now back to the NRAS website so in regards to what causes it it basically says that we don't yet know exactly what causes it itself what we do know is that there are two elements involved, genetics and environmental factors. And I think one of the other hardest things for this condition for me was not only being told that when I had it and that it, there was no cure, but it was also that I couldn't ever get an exact reason as to why I've got it. And I think whenever you have something in life, if you get diagnosed with something, you lose a loved one, something is really shit going on in your life, you can often go, why me? Like, why me? Why this? What, what? And you almost want like some form of like answer or closure and to not have that, I've like also struggled with, I feel. And again, this is just off my own experience. I think most people, when I go into kind of the genetics part and the environmental triggers in a second, you will kind of get an idea as to what you feel individually is the thing that's triggered it and I certainly have an idea of what I personally feel triggered mine but there's no guarantee in that there's no truth in that that's just my feelings um but anyway yeah so it goes on to say um genetics are involved even if you don't have 
anyone in your family with RA. Uh, this has been extensively studied, but it's not all about genes. Uh, genes indicate increased risk, but not everyone with genes uh, develops RA or with these genes, sorry, develops RA as we can see from studies of identical twins. If one identi identical twin heart has RA, the other has only a one in six chance of developing the disease, even though they have the same genes. So um, it's not necessarily all about that, um, but again, increased risk. Environmental trigger can be a virus, infection, trauma of some kind, or having a very stressful episode in your life, such as bereavement, divorce, or childbirth. There are many theories about triggers, but nothing's been conclusively identified. Um, and so I personally, although I'm not really going to go into it because uh, I don't feel that it's relevant. In 2017, September, when this second flare-up started again, I actually probably had a really bad year. Um, I was at my most kind of vulnerable during this year and um, mentally wasn't very stable. But um, I faced, I guess, a... I don't know if you want to call it trauma of some kind, but basically... I feel like there were certain things that happened in that year for me that potentially could have resulted in that. Now, I'm not saying that's gospel. I'm not saying that is the truth because I just genuinely, I do not know. But for me, that's personally what I have felt has has what has triggered it really. So yeah, um, I think it's quite hard being told you've got something, but we can't really tell you why. Oh, and there's no cure. Um, you know, it's just been a bit of a, yeah. A bit crap but uh obviously but yeah and um and as i say these these six months were just unbearable at times and um to wake up every day you know i had to run my hands under hot water just to get them to work in the morning um i couldn't really walk very well um i couldn't really get myself dressed so I couldn't like bend down properly um you know putting on like socks or tights um like just your body is so stiff and like seized up you know you think about like just shoving on a top like you don't even think about it right like just shove a top or a hoodie on over your head like you, you just don't even think and the one thing that I found crippling with this disease was just taking for granted the smallest things like brushing my hair cleaning my teeth um just putting on my own clothes getting in and out of a bath like I couldn't even do that and you know to be in a in a relationship and to be young and to be going through this and not knowing what's going on and let's face it, okay, yeah, you're in a relationship, so you're comfortable with somebody, but at your most vulnerable, so you're completely naked, and you've got somebody helping you get in and out of a bath, and probably whilst you're crying your eyes out, I have never felt so vulnerable, so alone, so isolated, um, just completely crippling, and, you know... <laughs> I have made no um, secret of the fact that I've liked food over the years. <laughs> and uh, there was one particular day 
I really had a really bad day at work or something or I, I don't really remember and I remember driving home and I bought a massive share bag of Doritos and like one of those Doritos dips you know like those pots you get like you get like the salsa one and things like that and I remember coming home and it was just me at home at that point and um I I was too weak to even open the salsa pot and um that was another thing like with my arthritis when I was really bad you know I couldn't even open like bottles of things I had to get like um you know it's quite good you can you can buy a lot of like tools that help you open jars and things like that and certain different things that that definitely help but um yeah at this point I didn't have anything like that and (laughs) I couldn't get into this jar of dip um so I just sat there and cried (laughs) and I can I can laugh about it now because trust me like I (laughs) I cried a lot over that um all I wanted was my crisps and dip and I, I just couldn't even open a jar. So you you really do take for granted like the smallest things and then to have things like that taken away from you where, you know, you couldn't even like do the smallest tasks. It was just, I don't know what the word is. I just felt so, I just felt so embarrassed. I felt so like ashamed, like no wonder there was times where I really struggled and I just felt like what is the point of being here anymore because I felt like I just couldn't do anything for myself and it was just it was just heartbreaking it really really was um and so those those six months in particular were were really tough Um, and I will say, you know, I was lucky that I had a very, very good support um, system around me during that time, um, in regards to my RA and, uh, yeah, basically I went back to my GP again and he said, look, I can't physically diagnose you obviously, but I am convinced that this is what it is due to the fact that it had escalated so quickly and it wasn't just my smaller joints now and it was actually quite I guess serious um this time he referred me to uh the mineral hospital in Bath which for anybody that doesn't know um the building has now um like it's actually moved it used to be in the city center of bath but it's the royal national hospital for rheumatic diseases so um it's now actually part of um is it IUH in bath so it's now actually part of the actual proper big I say proper but you know what I mean like the big hospital there anyway um yeah this particular uh place deals with obviously all uh autoimmune diseases you know rheumatoid arthritis lupus etc and so I felt like that by going here now to get assessed that I was hopefully going to get some better answers than what I did at Musgrove um and yeah as I say the hardest thing was just not knowing at this point like what is going on like yes the the words rheumatoid arthritis were being thrown about but I, I didn't actually have a diagnosis I wasn't being like I wasn't having any medication and I was just kind of dealing with it day by day. And so in the March of 2018, um, I went to Bath and I think within half an hour or so of even being there, I was diagnosed and told that I had rheumatoid arthritis. And yeah, that was hard hard to hear but 
I had so much relief that day. So much relief because I could actually at least know what it was I was dealing with. Yes, it was hard to hear and yes, it's shit, but at least I could then, you know, okay, what are the next steps then? What what do we do from here? And the next steps were to then talk about medication and treatment and um yeah in terms of diagnosing RA as I mentioned it it can be really tricky to actually get a diagnosis um so there's no like single test as I mentioned that detects RA um so it's it's always kind of either like made or confirmed by a consultant rheumatologist um and basically they talk about like what symptoms you've been having so you know your joint pain your stiffness your swelling um you can also have a blood test so um some blood tests may show like signs of inflammation um and then basically one of the signs is like a rheumatoid factor that can show in the blood um but about i think it says 30 percent of people with ra don't have a rheumatoid factor in their blood and i didn't so i didn't have um I didn't have that and another blood test is um, something called anti-CCP antibody which is more specific for RA in particular Um, but I didn't have that either so actually my diagnosis is something called seronegative rheumatoid arthritis um, which basically means that I've been diagnosed by the eye of a rheumatology consultant basically so someone has examined me based on my symptoms based on my um questionnaire based on f- feeling of my joints um family history other illnesses etc so um taking all that into consideration that's then how my diagnosis was determined on the day that i went and then as i mentioned in regards um treatment so um treatment basically at that point was basically indicated to me that i was going to need to take medication and I think the hardest thing for me was hearing the words no cure medication and potentially medication like for life and like the hardest thing is that I'm such a like I like to know like time scales or like just the specifics the ins the outs and with this there there really isn't and it's such a like I don't know I just I really struggle with that like you know like I kind of just I guess in an ideal world I would have wanted to someone say okay you've got this but if you do this for this amount of time then it will be gone but instead it was like you've got this there's no cure you need to take these drugs we don't know for how long and we don't know if they'll work and it was just like on one hand yes relief but again another question mark and it just felt very like just hard um I guess and one thing I will mention actually is during this time, I mentioned 2017 being quite a, like a, a hard year for me, which it absolutely was. Um, I wasn't in a very happy place in my life during this point for multiple reasons, but I was in a very negative mindset, a negative headspace. I was depressed. I was suffering with health anxiety, with panic attacks. You name it. I think I had everything going on under the sun in that point of my life. And to everybody else during that time, other than like the extreme close people to me I was probably putting on this thing of like yeah I'm great but inside I completely was not and I was really in a really really bad place and such a negative mindset and I genuinely believe that that 
made my flare-up worse I feel like it made my symptoms my pain everything that I was going through I feel like it made it worse just because of the mindset that I was purely in and so I've also never really been one for medication I'm not really a fan of taking things I'm I'm, I wouldn't say I'm like a like some kind of like hippie like natural remedies only and all of this I do believe obviously medicine and drugs do have a place in this world of course however I'm just yeah I'm not really a fan of putting like something into my body that is gonna make me feel like shit basically and that's exactly what these bloody drugs do so um basically we with most people that first initially get diagnosed with RA, the first drug that they tend to look to put most people on is a drug called um, methotrexate. Um, and so, in regards to uh, in sorry, in regards to that particular drug, um, you can either take it in the form of like an oral tablet, or you can look to inject it. And basically, just to give you an idea, so methotrexate is basically a chemotherapy agent and immune system suppressant so it's a drug that's used to treat cancer autoimmune diseases ectopic pregnancy and even for medical abortion so to put it bluntly it's not a very nice drug in fact it's sorry fucking awful um and i just feel sorry for anybody that has to take it because it's an absolute just shit show of a drug in my opinion and don't get me wrong again I oh god I don't want to like offend anybody because actually I, I get that it it does what it's supposed to do it does help people I'm not I'm not here to say that you shouldn't take it and I'm also literally again speaking off my own experience but I opted to take it orally at first so um yeah basically the only I guess issues with methotrexate is and one thing that got brought to my attention during that time is that you um can't have like try for a baby whilst you're on methotrexate can reduce fertility and you definitely cannot conceive whilst taking that drug so if um I got sort of you know told that if I wanted to start a family that basically I would need to come off of that drug and they'd probably look to put me on something else um and you know, to be sat down at 24, 25, I've just been told, hold on, I've got this autoimmune disease, there's no cure, I've got to take a drug that's going to make me feel like shit, it's probably going to reduce my fertility, and if I want to have kids, I definitely can't have them whilst I'm on this drug, and I was like, whoa, 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 like, and I feel that's why I have really struggled with this, because, as I say, emotionally, there's a lot that comes with it, but anyway, um, yeah, decided to take it, orally um some of the side effects or the biggest side effect for me was nausea and if you know me you know that I am basically I've got a shit pain threshold and I am not good when it comes to sick whether that be being sick myself seeing somebody else be sick like sick no can't deal with it will do anything in my power to avoid it honestly like yeah and as much as I say I really am not massively against drugs but wasn't really a fan of it at that point sat in that hospital that day I was literally like give me I will take anything I just don't want to feel like this anymore like give me any drug and I'll take it so regardless of being sat there thinking about the possibility of kids not kids and all this other stuff like that wasn't even a big thing for me and it isn't so I was just like give me this drug I just don't want to be in pain anymore 
and I was told it would take about three months for it to get fully into my system for me to like notice a difference. Again, speaking of my own experience, I actually noticed a difference within about six to nine weeks of taking it. And um, by three months, yeah, I could fully kind of get that it was in my system. However, it was, yes, it got rid of the pain, but I just didn't feel like I still had a normal life, like pre-RA, because it was just making me so sick. Like, not physically sick, just to mention, I it was just the feeling of, of, of feeling sick so that nausea and with methotrexate a lot of people that take it tend to find that they have like what you call a methotrexate hangover and mine lasted like two days just just think about going out like on a night out and then having like a really bad hangover think about that but like times 10 like no joke like for two days I felt like a zombie I felt like I'd just been like hit around the head multiple times and just feeling like I needed to be sick, but couldn't physically be sick. It was just, oh, it was just horrible. And so I felt like I was faced with two options here. I either stop taking the medication and I'm in pain, or I take the medication, have no pain, but feel like shit. And I just was, it just made me even more depressed because I was like, what sort of life is this? Like, and if anything, I think that is when I was like, no, like I need to do something. So the first thing I opted to do was to change the way that I took the medication. So I then changed from taking it orally and I took, um, or I say took, I decided to then inject myself. So I had to go to hospital again to learn how to do that. I'd never done it before. And they basically teach you what you need to do obviously you need to make sure that you're like in a clean environment you've cleaned your hands you've used an alcohol wipe to wipe down the area that you're going to be injecting and they tell you to either do it into your stomach or the tops of your thighs and each week you would like alternate where you do it so you know just to kind of you know if you do it in your left side of your stomach one week then the next week you do it in your right side or if you do it in your left thigh one week then the next week you do it in your right thigh and you know so on um and leaving the hospital then you know with a sharp spin (laughs) I was thinking to myself like again like what the hell like just something I wasn't really fond of to be honest but I thought to myself and my consultant agreed that by injecting it it would get into my system quicker therefore rather than taking it like as an oral and it kind of going through my blood and my system a lot slower than what it would be if I was injecting it that hopefully that would either not give me any nausea at all or at least reduce it it didn't really reduce it that much it probably did slightly but nothing considerable enough for me to be like yeah this is great like not at all and I hated it I really hated it um and one thing that I'll just mention is around like smells for me so I don't know like if anyone is listening to this that obviously like suffers with RA or has or like anything similar but um I'm probably getting a bit side noted here but I don't know I just find it quite fascinating how the sense of smell can make you think about certain things so like you know like you might smell like a perfume or an aftershave on someone and it will take you back to a specific memory so like someone might walk past you in the street that you don't know and you smell something and you're like my god I recognize that smell and it takes you back to a certain time well blue carex soap does that for me and not in a good way um so if you're listening to this and you know me 
never ever buy me a blue Carex soap or put me anywhere near it because I'll probably feel very very sick um <laughs> basically I you have to have like this I guess little ritual and once a week when I would be like injecting myself I'd go into my bathroom wash my hands make obviously the environment obviously very uh clean and inject put everything in the sharp spin blah 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 and um we had this blue Carex soap in the bathroom at the time and so now if I ever smell that it triggers something in my head to basically bring back that feeling of the nausea that I had when I was injected like when I've injected myself and I know that sounds so bizarre but honestly it's mad and even now right so where I am today which I'll go into in a moment I haven't injected for like nearly two years and even now I it will still take me back to that I've even I even just have to look at my sharp spin which is upstairs in my house and it will make me feel sick <laughs> like it's just nuts how powerful like a drug is to make it feel like that and like psychologically in your head I know a lot of it is in your head with things like that but yeah mad um I don't really know how else I can kind of I be- best describe it and I'm sorry if I've not I feel like maybe I've not even given it very much justice into, t- into terms of how shit it is um especially from the pain side of things you know they're I'm not just crying because I couldn't open a freaking dip um it is what it is uh you know there was times where I I remember actually one time I went to a works team meeting I had to drive I think it was to Dorchester actually and I remember that day just being incredibly incredibly in pain and um I didn't even think I was going to be able to drive home I was that bad I remember leaving the team meeting and walking back to my car on my own just tears running down my face terrified of getting in my car having to drive about an hour or so home um because I just didn't think I could do it my my legs just felt horrendous and at the time I lived in like a coach house so if you don't know what a coach house is when you open your front door you're basically greeted with stairs and then like it's like an apartment slash flat guest type of thing you know everything's on one level and I just remember like opening that door when I pulled up home and just crawling up the stairs because I couldn't even walk and like yeah just again and I hope that when I'm like explaining this I'm not saying this because I want people to feel sorry for me and I'm not expecting people to be like oh my god like you know there's a lot worse going on in the world and people have been and will go through a lot worse than this I'm just telling you how I felt it obviously in those exact moments and yeah um madness for anyone that's interested in regards to the fertility pregnancy side of things so first and foremost I'll categorically just state here and now I'm not the most maternal person in the world um that's not to say that I'm like you know put it this way I've just never been one of those girls that's like oh my god like I've got to get married and have like four kids and a house and a dog and like a Range Rover on the drive like I mean I mean I wouldn't say no to the Range Rover but you know I'm I've never been and there's nothing wrong with that but I've just never I've never really been like that I don't know why maybe there's something wrong with me (laughs) um but I'm also not opposed to it so I'm very much a case of like you know if the situation occurs where you know there is marriage and kids and you know that happens one day then great I'm very much a, if it happens it happens if it doesn't it doesn't 
But what I will say as as a female, and if you're listening to this as a female, and maybe you are in a similar position to me, you know, I'm 28, I'm going to be 29 this year, turning 30 next year. And um, last few years of my 20s been taken away by a pandemic. Brilliant. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you you can't help, I think, even though I'm not literally, I think I'd you know, I probably struggle even more if I was definitely someone that was like, oh my God, I've got to have kids because, you know, there's a, there's a lot that's gone into it. And, and right now I'm not on any medication. So if I wanted to have a kid and try for a kid, then I absolutely can go and do so now it's fine. But by taking methotrexate, you know, um, I was basically told that it can affect fertility, um, I was told, what else was I told? That basically, yeah, if I wanted to try and conceive, bearing in mind, obviously, I was being told this whilst I was in like a, you know, um, a very long term relationship. So, um, and obviously, those conversations do come up in a relationship. So, you know, I was told that if I wanted to conceive, basically, I couldn't do so whilst being on that drug. And that was also something that I spoke about, you know, the fact that, I guess I felt that if I ever wanted to have kids that I would sort of sit down with my partner and it'd be very uh, a case of you know are we ready to try for a baby yes great let's crack on um not okay let's phone up the doctor (laughs) and say we're ready to have a baby like I don't know I guess I just felt like it would be very kind of planned and like just almost kind of like in the hands of like other people and I don't know I just didn't necessarily feel great about it um and also the other factor is is that they say some people so again terminology here so they call it what I'm probably in now is what they call remission so as I say there's no cure for RA but when your signs, symptoms and stuff, when you're not in a flare up, when you're pretty much how I am right now, which is great, to be honest with you, in terms of physical health, um, they call it remission. And basically, when people with RA fall pregnant, um, I believe the statistic, the statistic, sorry, that I was told is that 70% of women go into remission which is like they have a great pregnancy everything's fine you know normal as best can be but 30 percent it can actually cause quite a big flare-up and do you know what that terrifies the shit out of me I mean as you well have heard my pain threshold is (laughs) rubbish um and so imagine being pregnant but also you know, potentially going for a flare-up and then having to give birth. And then imagine giving birth and then being in such a flare-up, you can't even look after or potentially even hold your baby. I mean, look, I know this is all hypothetical and I, I don't even know what would happen or, or anything, but, you know, your your head does go to those places and you do kind of end up starting to think, you know, especially as I say, a female, I'm now, you know, approaching 29, you you can't help but naturally think about the kind of future, the what ifs, the, you know, everything really. But I guess that's just a little bit of an insight into the fertility pregnancy thing. I don't know a great deal about it. I don't have a great knowledge on it. So I apologize if anybody's listening to this that does have more of a knowledge than me, then I'm sorry if anything I've said is incorrect. I'm just going off what I've been told and and things like that. As I say, I've not really done too much research into it because it's not really something I felt I've needed to. And also I haven't really wanted to. Um, 
kind of like the less you know the less it hurts you or whatever the saying is I've probably murdered that um but yeah and I guess you know after um taking the medication for some time I basically got into a state some form of remission I would guess um basically when I decided to stop taking my medication I wasn't actually as good as I am right now and it's definitely a risk that I've taken and actually when I decided to do it I didn't tell a single soul not one bloody person no one no family member no friend no not my consultant nobody and um yeah basically as I mentioned um very briefly but yes I was in a 10-year relationship and when that came to an end I moved to a new area bought my own house and it was pretty much a little bit prior to that that I decided to stop um taking my medication and uh if I'm honest right now best decision I ever made so after not taking it I then obviously implemented a lot of other factors into my life so as I mentioned I think previously I talked around that I had a very negative mindset I certainly had just yeah a negative mindset I was very depressed in a very anxious state etc but then what I really tried to work on when I stopped my medication was creating a positive state I um got over my health anxiety I really worked on my mental state my depression I focused on losing weight I focused on my diet nutrition I focused on exercising I started creating an environment for myself and a life for myself that was a happier one and a more positive one and honestly I believe that those are the factors that have led me to being able to not be on medication today and eventually after about I think about a year of not taking my medication I think I sat down and told my mum first of all and I think I was just very I was very cautious of telling people because I didn't want people to be angry with me I didn't want to let anybody down I didn't want people to you know be like oh why are you not doing this you know because I didn't want people to see it as like why are you not wanting to help yourself because I think people see like you're deciding to not take a drug well actually I was helping myself just in a way that I deemed to be better and more beneficial for me and okay I don't want to let anyone else down but remember this is my life I'm living with this and I ultimately have had to be selfish and make decisions for me so eventually now everybody is aware you know family friends my consultant that didn't necessarily go down too well with my consultant so Look, basically, as I say, there's not a cure, but the drugs, what they're designed to do is they're designed to suppress the disease. So, and, you know, suppress the damage to and destruction to your joints. So for all I know, inside my body, they're having a whale of a time and they're fucking up my joints left, right and center. Who knows? I'm not currently being x-rayed. I'm not currently having blood tests like I was when I was on my methotrexate. It's worth mentioning that you go and have like your checkups with your consultant. You have monthly blood tests because of the type of drug that it is. It has, you know, your liver, your kidneys will be checked and things like that. Um, And you'll also go and have x-rays as well to check on the destruction of your joints. Well, I've not had well the last time I had my bloods and x-rays done was actually February 2020 so yeah just about well about a year ago um 
And that was actually then when I told my consultant, hey, I've been off my medication for a year. And I basically, I wanted to do that and see if I could like change things myself through things like my diet, creating a better environment, um, you know, working on myself in a different way to then a year later come into my consultant and say, assess me now. They assessed me classed me in remission and then I turned around and said I haven't taken medication for a year (laughs) my consultant's face was a bit of a picture um and I got you know why (laughs) why have you stopped taking your medication why have you not told anybody um and I was just open and honest and said look I I don't like it they then presented me this was obviously a year ago uh, now February 2020 with two different drugs so not methotrexate um, two that are both safe in pregnancy so should I ever decide to want to start a family in the future that either one of them would be safe but shock <laughs> they both come with shit side effects and um, I basically agreed with my consultant that I would have six months based on the fact that I was in remission in February 2020 that I would have six months I think until about August last year whereby I would then need to make a decision about which medication I choose and I said, yeah, that's fine. I'll take these leaflets away. And I, I, I did. I looked at both of them. Not greatly. <laughs> probably for a couple of minutes. And um, again, I put it to the back of my head. Um, August last year came around and I picked up with my consultant again. And um, I'm not going to lie. I was I was debating about the medication. I was more set on not kind of going on to anything again. But you know, look, the consultant, they know what they're talking about at the end of the day. So I have to kind of go by them and what they think. And after speaking to them, after looking at both of the options, I've just decided again to continue on this journey of not taking something. And do you know what? That's a risk I'm willing to take right now for the fact that I'm relatively healthy, the fittest I've ever been in my life. um, And I'm not sat here claiming to be you know um amazingly fit because I'm not but I'm definitely the fittest I ever have been for sure and and the healthiest and I am basically taking a risk because if I was to be taking medication right now I'm pretty sure it would make me feel shit but it may be suppressing the disease and it would be potentially restrict you know not creating as much damage or destruction to my joints so that when I'm like 50 years old that I can still live some form of relatively normal life basically I'm taking the risk that by not taking the medication that I could potentially in x amount of time be bad and potentially worse than what I was even at my most worst that I've obviously talked about on this episode and right now that is a risk I'm willing to take uh don't ask me why but it just is and I'm I'm literally going off my own experience and how I feel in this moment in time and don't get me wrong you know with this whole condition there is so much what ifs and maybes and you know all of this and that and the uncertainty just bugs me it just bugs me um and so I just want to be able to control what I can in the here and now and who knows if I wake up in a week's time and I'm in another flare-up again then my feelings may change and I may think Jesus yeah give me some drugs um 
and I can only speak off my own experience and where I am right now. I appreciate that I've probably rambled so much and, you know, all I want this episode to portray, I guess, is just my experience, my journey, and hopefully give a bit of an insight into what it's like for somebody that lives with this condition. I feel, despite the struggles that I've had, I do feel grateful and lucky that I was diagnosed relatively quickly compared to what I know some people have. I also know that my journey has been quite straightforward as opposed to others. I know that the pain I've had has been very short-lived. I know there's people that are in flare-ups for years and will take medication and still be no better. There's people that can't work, people that are disabled because of this, people that need surgery because of this disease. You know, in the grand scheme of things, I am very grateful and very lucky to be probably at the, what's the word? I guess the lower end of the spectrum when it comes to kind of the disease and pain in itself and touch wood, I bloody say there. Um, I'll be sure I'll be doing everything in my power to ensure that stays the same by creating, you know, a healthy and happy life for myself. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much it, guys. I don't think there's anything else for me to kind of cover or go into. If there is anything that I've discussed in this episode that you want to particularly know more on, then I'd like to say I'm quite an open book. So I'd be happy to kind of talk about anything really in regards to this subject, I guess. So yeah, feel free to drop me a message. Be sure to answer any further questions you've got. Would love to kind of hear any feedback you have. This has obviously been quite personal and raw episode, I guess, for me to kind of open up in. So yeah, feel free to kind of let me know your thoughts really. And um yeah, as always, guys, thank you so much for listening. Um, feel free to follow, subscribe, like, share, share to your heart's content in regards to the podcast. Thanks for listening, guys, and I will catch you in the next episode.